a lot of times I, I feel like I, I was handed this golden goose, you know, and that like my job is just to make sure we just keep going. Well, quickly you learn that if, again, if you're not growing, you're dying. If you're not reinventing yourself, if you're not, you know, like doing those things. And I love that. Let's discover what people are building in the greater Cleveland community. We are telling the stories of Northeast Ohio's entrepreneurs, builders, and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the real pleasure of speaking with Mary Cohen, the president of NCS Credit based here in the greater Cleveland area. Founded in 1970 by Howard V. Cohen as a commercial collection agency, NCS Credit's goal was to form trusted partnerships and provide exceptional debt recovery services for its clients. In the early 1980s, NCS Credit earned a reputation as a leading authority in the corporate credit industry and expanded its services to meet the needs of its credit professionals by adding the construction, UCC, and publication services groups. Mary joined the company in 1990, shortly after the sudden and tragic death of her father, Howard Cohen, during which time the entire family rallied and resolutely continued to pursue Howard's vision forward. The story of NCS's credit is one of family and of growth and of success anchored in this belief of uncompromising excellence and ever-advancing technology. Today, under Mary's leadership, NCS Credit serves clients across the U.S. and Canada as a commercial debt recovery service, protecting many billions of dollars over their more than 50 years of service across industries like manufacturing, construction, food distribution, and energy, in addition to educating thousands of credit professionals along the way all guided by their belief that everyone should get paid for the work that they do. This was a fun and truly educational conversation for me. Mary talks about the hard things she experienced and navigated as part of her own entrepreneurial journey, the trials and tribulations of turning around a suffering culture, morale, and performance to an organization now recognized seven times over as a Northeast Ohio top workplace, the challenges of being a second-generation leader, the power of business operating systems, and a whole lot more. So please enjoy my conversation with Mary Cohen after a brief message from our sponsor. Lay of the Land is brought to you by Impact Architects and by 90. As we share the stories of entrepreneurs building incredible organizations in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio, Impact Architects has helped hundreds of those leaders, many of whom we have heard from as guests on this very podcast, realize their own visions and build these great organizations. I believe in Impact Architects and the people behind it so much that I have actually joined them personally in their mission to help leaders gain focus, align together, and thrive by doing what they love. If you two are trying to build great, Impact Architects is offering to sit down with you for a free consultation or provide a free trial through 90, the software platform that helps teams build great companies. If you're interested in learning more about partnering with Impact Architects or by leveraging 90 to power your own business, please go to ia.layoftheland.fm. The link will also be in our show notes. I was thinking about where the best place to start this conversation would, would be. And over the last year and change, I've been reading and learning about this group called the Hanokians, which is essentially this association of family-owned businesses that have been operating for more than 200 years in continuous operations. So there's not that many of them, but the idea of 
Henochians, it has its, I think, etymology in, in oneness, which just speaks like the longevity of, of these organizations. But as a starting point, you know, with, with that in mind, I'd love to hear from you how it was growing up in the family business. You know, how, how did it shape your outlook, your, your own motivations? What, what was it like? Sure. So my, my father started the business when we were children. There were three of us. I'm the oldest. What I really saw then was that my parents were together as a team. My mom was a teacher. She had his back. Let's take the risk. Let's do this. You're determined. He he was always so just knew that he would do whatever he had to do, like the confidence. And I think truly that has rubbed off, like just being independent and being like, I can do this and never self-doubting. Like those are probably the biggest like takeaways. I'm sure my brother and sister would say the same, but like when, so I was, this was funny too, is that he started the business in our home in Lyndhurst in the basement. So, yeah. so work from home, <laughs> 1970s, right? Not a thing, but like here, you, you know, here it's a big deal. Um, and that, when that phone would ring, like be quiet, you know, like be <laughs> this, quiet. This is a business Right. Call. Like dad's phone's ringing and you have to be quiet. But it was just like, just so cool growing up. I never really worked at the company. Um, my brother and sister worked there way more than I did. Um, I was interested in other things. I had other summer jobs. But when like technology changes happened, like I remember him coming home with this piece of paper and he's like, this is a fax. This this <laughs> came over the fax machine. He was so excited. Or when they started, you know, having computers at work and getting all the data entry of all the files. So it was cool living through those type of things. And I think all of that like really shaped me to be very independent, very seeing like the ethic of a, of a strong work ethic for sure. 100% and always being honest and truthful, like those type of things. His favorite book was the greatest salesman in the world. Mm. He would read a chapter of that to us after dinner, we would have to stay at the table and he would read a chapter. So like, at, I'm sure like, you know, I was like 12 or 13 years old. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I have to listen to him. But like, can you like, how brilliant was he that he's trying to teach his kids, you know, to form good habits, to start the day with love, to be determined, you know, those, those core principles mm -hmm. of success. Like, wow. You know, and my mom's like right there behind him. You know, she's right there. She's just not solely in the picture yet. At this point, so the company like had two. I, I there's there's two parts of the company. There's the entrepreneurial part of my dad, and then after he passed away, it's it's my mom taking the reins and and getting everything organized and like truly catapulting us to the next level. Mm. I I definitely want to understand what what both of those you know pieces were like as as we make our way forward. If you could take us back to, you know, the, the 1970s Lindhurst basement, you know, <laughs> well, what, is, what is the origin? What, what, where did this idea come from? How did it come to be? So my father was a credit manager at General Electric. And I guess he, he was good at debt collecting, collecting, you know, doing the collections. And he thought, I can do this better and I can do it on my own and I can make a living on this. And that's where NCS started. It started as a, a commercial debt recovery service. He did a phenomenal job with that, you know, being able to move out of the basement into office space, hire employees. And then his mind was like, okay, what, how else can I get more collections? 
And, and I like, I know that doesn't sound like, oh, this is a business I want to be in. But then he like brilliant started. Um, we started doing UCC filings in the 1980s and then um, notice and lien filings, which is all about securing receivables so that if people defaulted on these secured receivables, we would then collect on the debt for them. So we would take you through and collect the whole process of securing your receivables and collecting the debt. Mm. Then over the years, the notice in the UCC side, the services actually grew bigger than the commercial debt recovery side of the business. And um, over the last five years, we've kind of changed that around and really had a big push. So we're super boutique-y. Um, we don't have a call center. It, it's it's We really focus on those secured collections. Right, right. It, you know, it, when I was reading more about the history of the company and the organization, it just kind of dawned on me that it's not very often that we think about it, but it's kind of astonishing how much of our society just kind of like fundamentally revolves around how much of the economy, you know, is based on debt <laughs> and credit. Yes. And, you know, late payments account for, I think it was a quarter of bankruptcies. And if, if companies don't have the liquidity or predictable cash, you, you can't really operate a company. And so it's just kind of like part and parcel to the the whole system that, that we live in all the time. And it was something crazy, like under one half of businesses are paid on time. And there are literally trillions of working capital that's kind of like caught up in that statistic. So I'd love to, as we kind of set the stage to to talk about NCS credit and the whole history and your journey there, just like what this industry looks like and, you know, what have been the important trends that have, have played out over the, the last 50 years in it? Sure. So as you mentioned, every business has a credit department. It's probably something that is most overlooked. These are the professionals who are making credit decisions, um, um, making the credit lines. They are establishing policies. You know, they're, they're invoicing the AR management, the whole like they're handling all the money, all, all the cash that's coming through the company and they're collecting on it. So they are totally responsible for that. And you can have um, a bookkeeper that's in a small organization to hundreds of people in a credit department that report to the director of credit, that report to the CFO. So there's just this huge range. And then also within that is the education level of the people that are in these credit departments. In the credit world, there's kind of a, a, not a joke, but it's like, I didn't go to school to be in the credit department, right? You don't go to college. There's not a major that says, I'm right? Going, right. right? So people typically just end up there for whatever reason. And usually when that happens, they stay. So we have people who we have baby boomers still all the way down to Gen Zers. So like the whole uh, makeup of the of these departments now are so dynamic and so diverse and so different than what it used to be in the past. Like what it looks like now What's happening now, um, just really like post-pandemic, these these groups, these departments are still very short-staffed. The future uh, will definitely AI and big data, like helping them make better decisions quicker, faster, more accurate mm. is going to play out. So, and maybe we can, you know, layer on the the second component that, that you mentioned with, with your mom at, at this point, but just maybe a, an, an overview of, of NCS's credits, you know, journey to, sure. to today. Sure. So again, you know, started as debt, debt recovery, added the two services in the 1980s. In the 1990s, 
And this kind of talks about the success of how we're, we're 53 years in, but we're, we, I still feel like we, we feel so startupy and so flexible. And so we decided to do one of the processes in house. And that was a big risk decision and it paid off. And um, that's now one of our, our biggest products that we have is offering notices and liens in house at NCS. And then just taking it through like, like, and then I, I think about the brilliance of my dad again, like really 53 years later, we still just do these three things. And we've been able to put a lot of technology around them, make them simple, make them faster, help people understand. We have a big education component because typical people, mm. like, did you know what a notice a lien was? No. Okay. Or do you know what the uniform commercial code is? No. So we, that's our challenge is that a lot of times we have to go ahead and spend a lot of time educating the credit manager, the credit director, that these are the tools that you can use to help you get paid. Right. And maybe, you know, we just take a, a few of those terms uh, across, you know, commercial collections, <laughs> mechanical liens, UCC filing programs, just, you know, for, for the, for the everyday person, what, what, sure. what are these things? Okay. So we're all about securing receivables right. and the law gives you ways that you can do that. So if you are in the construction industry and you are not being paid, there are remedies that you can take that will help you get paid. So, but there's rules and every state has different rules. There's all these matrices and we are super good at all of that compliance stuff on that side. Um, and then, um, so that's putting a lien on real estate, like on the construction side, you're, you're, you're putting a lien on the actual property where whatever is being improved, built, whatever is happening. Then on the, on the flip side, the UCC side, article nine of the uniform commercial code gives you the ability to put a lien on personal property. So this is movable property. This is bicycles, musical instruments, your accounts receivable. Um, banks do this every single day to any loan that you take out with the bank. They file a UCC on you and take a secured interest in all your assets so that in the event that you default on the loan, they can go in and take your house or whatever. So we do it on the business side. For our clients, um, it's consensual. You have to sign a security agreement. And I'm probably getting way too much detail. But um, instead of a lien on real estate, this is a lien on personal property. So it's the same thing, securing accounts receivable so that in the event you're not getting paid, you can then take these measures and we will help you get paid because we believe you should be paid for the work that you do. Mm. So I, that framing of it is 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 awesome. And I think Seg's pretty well into the, this next idea, which I think, you know, to put it out there, the the industry maybe is, you know, it has negative connotations in terms of how people perceive it and, you know, the nature of how it actually transpires in practice and uh, some of the, the aspects around that. And so how have you, you know, from the, the branding side and the reputation and the building of trust over, you know, many decades now, approached NCS's credits role, you know, as a, as a partner of, of companies in this space against, you know, that, that kind of negative connotation that the industry might have. Sure. So I would say that, you know, like every credit department understands like they're, they're collecting their debt, they're collecting their past dues. And then they flip them to us, of course, when they get to a point where they are, they're not getting any response from the customer. 
I think a lot of the the, the negative con- connotation comes from being on the consumer side, mm. you know, where we don't do that. We just are strictly B two B. There's there's no repo and all that. So so I get I get that that connotation of collections, and so we as always have to be very professional, you know, just explain our show our proven process, explain how we go, you know, we'll, we'll do this. We follow all the rules. We're legitimate in what we do. We're very good again because we're just super boutiquey and uh, on those secured collections. And we have an uh, attorney network throughout the United States that's vetted. We have construction attorneys and regular collection attorneys, and so we draw on them to help us then collect the debt if it goes to a foreclosure or suit because we can't do that because we're not an attorney. So, so tell us about your journey through through the, the company. <laughs> so my journey, my journey. By education, I am a nurse. I worked in the emergency room um, down at University Hospitals for six years, and I had the opportunity to join the family business and thought that with some guidance of friends, like, hey, this might be a really good decision for you. Um, So (laughs) I I started, I think we, so my dad had already passed away. So my brother was working there and my sister was working there. I think there may have been like maybe 12 employees at the time. And funny enough, like I literally started in the mailroom and I'm like, okay, I'm, I, I can save lives. <laughs> so I'm going to do this. And so I just put my head down and I just started reading, um, started like case law and understanding what this, cause I didn't know what any of this was either. And then just started getting in the processes was actually doing the work and then just became more, um, as the company grew, took more of a management role of the different divisions. And then in 2007, um, I was named president. So at this time, my mom, Dee, is is running the company and felt that it was time for the transition to the second generation. And uh, my family is very fortunate. The fact that we, my, my siblings, we all have different talents. So like, we all get along super well and like, Hey, yeah, you're the one who's going to do this, you know? And my brother manages the attorney network and I'm like, there's no way that, you know, (laughs) that's not for me. That's not my seat. So it just worked out well. So since 2007, so right at the financial crisis, great. Okay. So we get through that and just been growing the company and here we are today. Lave the Land is brought to you by John Carroll University's Bowler College of Business, widely recognized as one of the top business schools in the region. As we've heard time and time again from entrepreneurs here on Lay of the Land, many of whom are proud alumni of John Carroll University, success in this ever-changing world of business requires a dynamic and innovative mindset, deep understanding of emerging technologies and systems, strong ethics, leadership prowess, acute business acumen, all qualities nurtured through the Bowler College of Business. With four different MBA programs of study, spanning professional, online, hybrid, and one-year flexible, the Bowler College of Business provides flexible timelines and various class structures for each MBA track, including online, in-person, hybrid, and asynchronous, all to offer the most effective options for you, including the ability to participate in an elective international study tour, providing unparalleled opportunities to expand your global business knowledge by networking with local companies overseas and experiencing a new culture. The career impact of a Bowler MBA is formative and will help prepare you for this future of business and get more out of your career. To learn more about John Carroll University's Bowler MBA programs, 
please go to business.jcu.edu. The Buller College of Business is fully accredited by AACSB International, the highest accreditation a college of business can have. Can you take us through some of the the challenges that you face as a, a second generation leader of the business and how you have approached those? So again, super fortunate that my mom and I have always gotten along super well. Like we're really well together, communicate. We can hash out, you know, our conflicts and everything is fine. So like her leadership and her mentoring of me during those years, probably the pandemic is kind of what pushed her out finally, um, just not coming into the office and just saying, okay, like it's, it's okay. She has amazing EI, like her emotional mm. intelligence is off the chart. And that's how like she leads and that's how she, she goes to business where I am totally opposite. Like I need that algorithm. I need the, the data. I need the numbers. And so a lot of times we would um, have different opinions on some things like that where she'd be like, no, it's fine. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's fine. Like it's showing me right here that that's not. And she's like, no, it's fine. And she's always right. <laughs> she's always right. So for my transition and my, what I learned from her is like, I really had to hone in more about that. And then so again, it's just about our people, like making sure that our people are taken care of, making sure that our people are happy. You know, it's just, it's just that whole, I don't even know what to call it, but it was just like really being careful that you're not losing that piece of the culture to the next generation. Mm. Some, some interesting follow-ups to that would be, you know, how in, in your reflection of your own journey, you've, that you cultivated the, the entrepreneurial spirit, because I think it's a different kind of founding story in some ways of, of, you know, your, your role in the company. So how did you think about, you know, keeping the entrepreneurial spirit uh, alive? So that that's tough because a lot of times I, I feel like I, I was handed this golden goose, you know, and that like my job is just to make sure we just keep going. But quickly you learn that if, again, if you're not growing, you're dying. If you're not reinventing yourself, if you're not, at, you know, like doing those things. And I love that. And I think that that goes back to like the childhood thing where it's like being independent, working with people, you know, like as a nurse, like I love caring for people. Being that holistic type of um, let's all, you know, all in super love sports. So pandemic was really hard for me because mm. it wasn't like all hands in, you know, after a meeting right, and right. like, let's go. We're like virtual saying, OK, see you tomorrow, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it was tough. It was tough. Yeah. In that same seat of, you know, from the perspective of, of the second generation, do you think about legacy and like what that means? and how to create the kind of legacy that, that you would like? Yes. So funny that you asked that. Not only we talk about legacy at NCS and not just only me or the family, like I talk about my leaders about legacy. I talk about people who um, come in and I'm like, you are the first person in this job. Like we hired a data scientist recently and I'm just like, you are, you're, you look at what your legacy is. You are the first person at NCS to have this position you know, so we we talk a lot about that. The leaders talk a lot. We talk a lot. I have one-on-ones with my leaders every month. And it's like, how do you want to be remembered? Like, you know, like what are the specific things that go through your mind that make sure that you will have a legacy that, that you are leading off to the managers that you're training now? 
So for me, my legacy is I just I just really want to leave when I leave a very great company, not a good company. Mm. I want a great company to the third generation and make sure that 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 switch goes because you and I both know only 13 percent make it from the second to the third. So you got everything stacked against you. I have to be very careful about that next that next piece. And just may, maybe the legacy is too, is just maybe I, I, I had an effect on someone's life for the good, you know, just made that little difference. Yeah. That, would, that would make me happy. So if you're not growing, you're, you're dying. So in that, how have you thought about and approached growth as a company, you know, overcoming uh, adversity, challenges of, of just an organization with, with the, the history that, that, that you have? So we're the largest organization of what we do. And there's not many organizations that do the three things that we do. So we have competitors in each of those different buckets. Over the past 15 years, we've had a lot of startup companies come in um, with technology and um, really challenging us. But at the end of the day, we're a service organization and people who value service, people who value someone educating them, you know, we, we call it, we're making credit heroes um, of our customers. You know, like we're educating them all the time so they can go back and make good decisions or they can go back to their boss. So it's those companies that value that, that have had, those are our ideal customer. And that's where the growth happens. People who don't, customers who don't care about that kind of stuff can go to the competitors. We want to, we want to take you through the whole process. We want to secure your receivables and Hey, in the event that you're not getting paid, at, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we we do have the debt collection and we can help you work that way out. How, how did you arrive at this? I don't know if it's if it's a motto or, you know, kind of statement that, you know, people should be paid for the, the work that they do. OK, so let's 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 talk about the culture and let's just start there. So yeah. in 2019, I've been reflecting on this a lot. Two things were happening. Mm -hmm. There were cracks in the culture and my leadership leadership team was stuck. Like we were having meetings, but we they were more reporting. We maybe weren't talking about things we should have been like the action wasn't there. And at the same time, our employees were asking for more work from home, more flexible time, better benefits, um, more transparency in the company. So then what happens? The pandemic comes, right? Everybody goes home. So things kind of like probably just study a little bit because nobody knows what to do now. Sales continue to do very well because when the economy um, is in like a downward spine, everybody's securing everything. So mm. we do really well then. The five years prior to including 2019, we were always a top workplace. Always, always on the top, like for our division, we were always top 40, always. 2020, we don't even get on the list. So we're like, okay, like, we know this is happening. So I started reading, like, I, I always followed Gino Wickman, started reading more about traction, thinking, okay, like, we got to do something different. Like, it's not working. So we self-implemented EOS the first time. And we did that for, like, six months. Then, to that, I forget, 2021 comes, we, we don't make top workplace again. Like communication, like trying to hone in on like this pandemic, like everything is accelerating those cracks. Those cracks are getting so big now, like the culture's changing. Um, so funny enough, ERC was actually training my leaders 
and their trainer mentioned something about EOS and said, Oh, we have, we have, um, we have a coach. And I'm like, you have a coach? Like, who do you have? And they're like, we have Chris Snyder at, at, at Impact Architects. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> there's my answer. So I called here and that's when we met Jim Havlin. We had Jim out to the office to make sure that he was a good fit for us. And he has been the catalyst to help us like from the very beginning, working on the culture. So we we stripped everything down, went back to redoing our core values. It took us probably eight months to figure out what those new core values have, how they're defined, how are we going to talk about them? How are we going to interview around them? Like all those important questions. And then the niche came and then the purpose, you know, like really making it, our mission statement before was good. It met the mission statement, but it like, was it meaningful? to people. And so, and that's where Jim helped us like break it down to, we help everyone get paid for the work that they do. That's what we do all day long. So we have the new core values. We have the purpose. We have our niche. Um, we work from home, like each manager, take care of your departments. One person comes in, whatever, free reign, do what you need to do. We um, increase the benefits package. We added a lot of things there, changed the PTO with, with more rollover, the employees all got their 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 four percent compensation raise, and then like three months later, we gave another six percent inflation raise on top of that. Um, so we were just doing a lot of proactive things to be able to un, like to get the employees back. And of course, we were going through some resignations, like everybody else. It was a very very tough time, tough. But to be very very clear. This is like all because of my leadership team and with guidance of Jim. Like we could not, I could not have done this. I couldn't have let this through myself. Like mm. totally needed help here. Just like we, um, the job descriptions, we, 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 we redid all of them, put different paths for people. This year alone, nine people have been promoted to new positions. So like it's working, it's moving on the, the, the core values, the way we have them written out now it's so easy for the managers to talk about them. And mm. so we talk about when we're interviewing you, are you determined? Are you curious? Are you inquisitive? And how's that community? How's that teamwork? Um, we do our performance reviews. We talk about that. So it was just made everything so much clearer and easier. A lot of this was driven, the change that happened and how we got to everyone deserves to get paid for the work that they do was the leadership team and the and the guidance of Jim. And he helped us get to when we're interviewing people to the hell yes. Mm. So when people are interviewed now, if everyone doesn't say this person's a hell yes, meaning they check all the boxes of our core values, then they are not hired. And we just have embraced that and, and everything we talk about, like hell yes <laughs> or <laughs> hell no, you know, just depends. But I think it's made the lines very clear for us. That's awesome, right? A real recognition of of the need to change, and uh, yeah, and architecting it, and, yes. and kind of shifting the whole trajectory of the company. So, and the, the 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 great stuff that came out of that is this year we were a top workplace again in the top forty, right where we 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 typically were, and we just were selected as Weatherhead one hundred winner for impact of five year growth. Mm. So super excited about that. Yes, yeah. So in, in the context of that, how do you think about success ultimately and, and what that, that means to you, to the company, 
you know, the kind of impact that that you're hoping to to have here? I think that that success for me kind of goes hand in hand with the legacy is that I just want us to be a great company. I want us to stay. Most of the employees will say that it's the family feeling that they love, even though we have over 80 employees people still feel like like we're a family. Like we talk about that. And I don't want to lose that. I think that that will always, no matter how big we get, have that as just being ethical and moral, treating people well, and having happy employees. You know, mm-hmm. to me, that's success. The other stuff will come. You know, like the, if your people are happy and, and they're working hard, the rest of the stuff will come. Yeah. And clearly it is because, like, we're breaking these new milestones. It, it does take care of the the rest of it. Lesson learned. <laughs> As you look to the future, what are your aspirations for, for NCS Credit? Where, where do you want to take it and ensure its continued growth and success? A lot of what we do, we're going to stay true to the three, to the three pillars for sure. It's going to be what can we tag on to those that can be the next thing you know, acquisitions, any type of mergers, like that, those are always, you know, we talk about that. AI probably is going to play a role, especially like internally helping us on the construction side is, or even on the UCC side, it's, it's the AR management. Now more and more people are, are, are more comfortable and, and providing their AR to a third party like NCS, um, so we get like these APIs, and then when we know if if okay it's paid, okay, and we don't have to do anything with this project, or it, now it's past due, and it's this amount of money, so now we know automatically ping it. We got to send the notice. We got to file the UCC. So like more automation in terms of that, and mm-hmm. I think that that will help these credit departments tremendously because they are sure staff. They need people to help. They need that more automation so that they can be worrying about the credit worthiness of their customers. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it it does seem that the opportunity for the application of technology here is is really mm-hmm. transformative. Yeah. A lot of times they say like the credit department is the last frontier. Like companies don't have budgets for credit departments or or like, oh, we're going to invest all this money and give you all this technology. So I think it's like their turn now at full circle because even, you know, AI with big data, like they have so much information and knowledge now at their fingertips where they can make those really quick, accurate decisions. It's going to be very impactful for them. Is there anything that you have changed your mind about? as a consequence of, of your experience and, and kind of earned, earned wisdom. Like in life? <laughs> in life like, or, or in business. In business. I guess it's just, it's, it's perception. A lot of times I always thought like what I'm driving for and what I find meaningful. So does everybody else, right? <laughs> Not so much, you know, where I'm like super driven and, and want to hit numbers and let's do great things where sometimes like that's not meaningful to the other employees who are doing the day-to-day work. So it's really, for me, like lesson learned over the last four years, for sure, with these cracks is making the work meaningful and understanding what people like truly take to heart and want to do. Mm. That's big lesson for me. If you were to offer up advice, uh, which is always hard in the abstract, (laughs) but for other second generation Mm -hmm. leaders who might be stepping into a family business 
in perhaps similarly challenging circumstances. What would you impart to, to them? So hands down, you have to remember that you are a steward of the company. Okay, company comes first, family comes second, and you, you yourself are like last on the list. It's not about you. It's about the company. And just learning those lessons from that first generation, again, they took the risk. They, they put everything on the line. They had the ideas, you know, and it's having, just learning those lessons from them and not, to me, that's like the hardest, that was the hardest part. Yeah. For sure. You know, like, again, it's, you're, you're, you're getting handed this little package with this little bow on it. That's all nice. And you just have to, you know, t be responsible now and take it. So that's just the biggest thing is just be a steward, do what's right. Put your people first. Yeah. Well, I think we, we've covered, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of ground here. Are there, there are aspects of, of your journey of, of NCS credit, you know, that, that we haven't touched on yet that you think are, are particularly important that you would want to share? My family, we, we talk about this, that we are so very humble for the people that work for us. These people come in every day and give 150%. They care so much about like our business and they treat it as their own. And like, isn't that amazing? Like, like what else would you want to have people like that? You know? So just, just keeping that team and let making sure that they know that they, we care about them. And, you know, clearly we, we lost our way a little bit, but just, you know, seeing that we reorganized the culture, did the things that matter and keeping them happy. That's awesome. So I think we get, we can close out here with our traditional closing question, which is for a hidden gem in Cleveland, something that other folks may not know about. So that's, that's tough. That's tough. <laughs> the hardest question. That's tough. I mean, certainly what other people don't know about. We have so much great stuff in Cleveland, the lake and the parks and the arts and the food. I mean, I would say the gem and people know this, but it's just having two world-class hospital systems mm. in Cleveland. Like you're not going to find that everywhere. And not that I've had to use any of them, but like, if I do, they're like 20 minutes down the road. Like I don't have to get in a plane. So I think that, and, and coming from the medical field, I think that that's, that's something that's pretty special to Cleveland. I'm an East Sider. So come on over to the East side and Enjoy Sugar and Falls. Oh, absolutely. It's beautiful yeah. out there. Yeah. Cool. How about you? What's yours? Oh, well, I, you know, at some point I'm going to have to pull together this list of 150 that other people have told me about <laughs> and like map them. That's what I actually would like to do that at some point. What's the most amazing? What's the, or. I, I am, uh, I'm drawn to the, the nature, you know, parts of Cleveland. Mm -hmm. I, I find them particularly compelling. And as someone who didn't grow up here, just had no idea that, you know, you can bike to the national park in mm -hmm. 10 minutes. You know, it's, it's pretty crazy that it's that level of accessibility everywhere. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. And there's like so <laughs> many great hiking paths and um, so many different park systems. It's really great. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Well, Mary, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast and sure. sharing your story. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. If, if people had anything they wanted to follow up with you about, what would be the best way for them to do so? Sure. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. 
Um, Mary Cowan at NCS. Um, you want? I can give you my email address. Sure. Uh, it's uh, just up to you. Mcowan at ncscredit.com um, or go to our website www.ncscredit.com. Find all the resources there, and I'm on the, the page there. So love to talk to anybody. Sure. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with The Up Company, LLC. At the time of this recording, unless otherwise indicated, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the company which appear on the show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.